podcast little mind chats minds a little not our thoughts i'm your host siona thanks for taking your time to tune into my podcast today if you listen to my saturday's episode we were discussing about what climate change really is with our guest lynn englum lynn englum has nearly dedicated her life for the cause and effect of climate change and global warming Besides her job in New York as a city and policy manager, she manages a website called vanishingplaces.org, a climate change journey. She started her journey at the World Wildlife Fund, WWF, climate change communication and campaigns and has since traveled several countries to explore the damaging effects of climate change. Her map on the website looks super impressive. In short, you could call her a climate scholar and writer. Please do follow her on Instagram and Facebook with the name Vanishing Places. Links to her website, Instagram and Facebook are in the description. Hi Lynn! On Saturday, we went through some very interesting questions like what climate change really is and how the temperatures could rise by 5 degrees if we chose to do nothing. We stopped our discussion at how children can be involved in doing their bit for climate change. You had suggested visiting Greta Thunberg's website, Fridays for Future. But what if some are not able to... Yeah, so that website can, you can take a look at that website and see what's within your ability to do, obviously, in terms of that. But I think that collective action is the only way to get to the heart of this issue because it's a, it's such a large problem. And so that's why I, I always encourage in raising voices as a collective because it has to be a large group that gets together to make the changes that we need. But individual action is always important as well. Uh, how we behave as individuals when it comes to our carbon footprints and understanding what our carbon footprint is and uh, and what that means. So, what exactly is carbon footprint? Carbon footprint is about uh, how much energy you use, uh, whether it's the lights you use in your home or it's the the cars you drive or the transportation you take. So you can decrease your carbon footprint by taking um, public transit instead of using an individual car or bike or using a bicycle. You can decrease carbon footprint by using more efficient light bulbs, for example, or less light. So it depends on what you have access to and, um, and, and what makes sense. So in a lot of parts of the world, they don't have, people don't have a very big carbon footprint. They maybe have very little. And so for, for folks like that, you know, it doesn't, there's not a lot of individual action they can do to lower their carbon footprint if they don't, if they don't have a lot of use of lights or if they don't have a lot of use of, um, of fossil fuels. Maybe they only use a bicycle to get to work. So they're not going to have a very big carbon footprint. Um, and so there's not maybe as much action for them to take. That's why collective action and getting your, raising your voice is going to be really important because and the more voices, the more that it'll be heard, whether it's in a, in a country or around the world. Yeah, but 
Everybody in the world will have some or the other carbon footprint. They will have some form of a carbon footprint, yes, because everybody uses fossil fuels in some way, shape, or form, whether you have a light in your house or whether you uh, maybe you have a, uh, a, a motorcycle that you use. But for example, I live in the United States where the individual carbon footprint is much higher per person than it is in a place like India, where your individual carbon footprint is much lower. So, and the reason is because, for example, a person in the United States, their transportation is probably a car and they have a house that uses a certain amount of energy a year because they have a refrigerator and they have a washer and dryer and appliances that use energy. And so in India, the individual may have those same things or they may not have a car. They may just have a, a bicycle or they may have a very small house um, or they may have a very, very big house and have a very big carbon footprint. So it just depends on the individual. So for me, I don't have a car. I have a, I have a bicycle. That's how I get around. Um, I do that for carbon footprint reasons. I do that for my own health because biking is healthier for me than, than driving a car. Also in New York city, you don't want to drive a car here. It's too crowded. <laughs> um, so there's, there's other reasons for why I, I have a bicycle. Um, but it depends on like where you live and you know, what your, uh, what your needs are. Um, and so oftentimes though, in, in really wealthy countries like the U S there, our carbon footprints are much higher because of all of the things that we're using, um, which isn't a good thing. Other other countries just don't don't have some of the access to some of those appliances or or things, and so they're not going to have as high of a footprint. What's important, I think, about this issue is is that with climate change and carbon emissions and, and, and reducing fossil fuels, we don't want to reduce livelihoods. We want livelihoods to continue to grow and thrive. But we have to think smarter about what does that mean. So we have to rethink about what that means for us as a, as a, as a planet, that a better livelihood does not necessarily mean two cars and a big house. Uh, it, it can mean um, a very efficient, smaller house and better transportation modes, like great public transportation infrastructure. So those are things that we need to be thinking about. Yeah, so we should keep people in their livelihood, like we should keep in our livelihood without damaging the environment. Exactly. Thriving uh, without undermining the planet. More consumption oftentimes is characterized by a better economy. Well, we can't afford to live in, in a world where that's the case anymore. Yeah, very true. Carbon footprint, by the explanation you have given us, I have related it to uh, pollution. So is carbon footprint the same as pollution? In many ways, carbon footprint is very similar to pollution. Carbon footprint is the greenhouse gases that you emit um, from your lifestyle. So a lot of that, a lot of those greenhouse gases are CO2 emissions. Um, we can we often refer to it as pollution, but sometimes pollution, so certain things that are pollution are not necessarily greenhouse gas emissions. So they are different, but oftentimes pollution is associated with the burning of fossil fuels, and so they're used interchangeably. For example, 
one of the things that happens when a coal-fired power plant is burned, it emits the CO2 that causes global warming, but it also creates acid rain and it creates smog. So those are side effects of the burning of fossil fuels. Um, they're not greenhouse gases and they're not part of your carbon footprint, but they are pollution. And in some ways, that pollution is much more acute to you because you breathe it into your, your lungs and you feel it more. So oftentimes the burning of fossil fuels has two effects with its pollution. It has the, has the greenhouse gases and then it has other pollutants that uh, harm us in different ways, whether it be the air that we breathe and the particulates that are in the air from the burning of those fossil fuels, or it be from the acid rain that it produces from that. So uh, there's all sorts of reasons to stop burning fossil fuels. It's not just the greenhouse gases. It's the full pollution of that burning of those fuels. And so greenhouse gas is not necessarily pollution. So fossil fuels, the burning of fossil fuels creates pollution. Some of that pollution are greenhouse gases, so CO2 emissions. And some of that pollution is like particulates that are in the air that you breathe that are not good for you, the smog that's produced. So if we stop pollution and we stop burning the fossil fuels, you have lots of benefits. It's not just the CO2 emissions and the greenhouse gas effect. You also have cleaner air you can breathe. You also have the rain will be different. The stopping the burning of fossil fuels has lots of benefits. It's not just the greenhouse gases. Yeah, that's very true because when we cut down trees, see trees breathe in the, the carbon dioxide produced, but we cut down the trees. But still, some people are making an effort to plant plants. And when they plant plants outside, the acid rain comes down and sometimes like um, just makes the plants uh, wither and die. And so uh, the world is kind of like all linked up. I think you made a very good point that the our ecosystems are all connected. So the when we cut down a, a forest, we're impacting our air that we breathe. When we build a new coal-fired power plant, we're impacting the air that we breathe. And so there's a life cycle that goes with carbon dioxide and the rain that falls, right? And so everything is very connected. When you do one thing, it has a domino effect on other things. And so one of the really important solutions to climate change, it's, it's just one of many things that need to be done is, is to plant trees. So you've made a good point of the more greenery we have in a place, the more ability to absorb the carbon dioxide and other other things in the air that aren't as aren't as good. It has the ability to filter the air, and so see this in some in some cities, for example. Um, I think it's Singapore that's doing all sorts of like they're building buildings with green walls and trees in the buildings, like so to to help with the air. Uh, so there's a lot of interesting technological solutions that, that are literally harnessing. The, um, the planet's own resources, like trees, to, to be a solution. So it's an, I think it's really important to think about um, how do we use our own ecosystems to, to help us? Because the Earth is really a smart, <laughs> it's a really smart being and planet. And so um, what can we do to, to utilize what's already happening and just to, to amplify it, right? And that's a lot more trees, for example. Yeah, well, it's really in a way thing to build houses and 
other buildings without cutting down or spoiling nature. Yeah, cut, they, they cut down the trees simply to build houses and make furniture and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So trees are an important resource and they have been an important resource for humans for a really long time. But like anything, when you overdo something, when you overextract, it causes a problem. And so if, yeah, if you need to cut down some trees in one place in order to, to build and to keep a more concentrated number of people in, in, a, in a certain place, maybe because you have a lot of um, public transit resources. And so building here makes a lot of sense. Well, then if that's the case, then, then if those trees need to be, to be cut, then they should be planted elsewhere. And if, you know, cutting down a 25 year old tree is not the same as planting a new tree. And so you might have to plant a lot more trees in order to make up for the carbon intake of a, of an older tree. So that's also something that you'd, you'd have to think about, but so we have to think that's why, that's why solutions have to be holistic, right? In terms of if you're going to, um, if you're going to develop here, then you have to think about, well, what does that mean for the whole system? And what does that mean for the solution around offsetting that particular issue? Um, if we're all in our silos, then we're not going to be thinking about it from a holistic perspective. And then one person does this over here and over here and nobody, nobody um, deals with the solution or the, uh, the counterbalance of what that what that action meant. Yeah, that's very, very true. Like you mentioned, fossil fuels are actually hurting the planet. Then why can't we completely stop using the fossil fuels? Well, it's it's when you transition from uh, an energy source, it can take time. So fossil fuels are so ingrained into our society and how we, how we turn on our lights, how we fuel our cars, how we fuel our buses and our planes. And since it's so ingrained in, in our entire infrastructure system, it takes time to cycle this out of our infrastructure system. But it's not that we don't have the technology. We do. It's taken a long time to develop some of that technology, but we have, we have all the technology we need to, for the solutions. That's been, that's become very clear. What we don't have is the social will of, of, of people, meaning we don't have the political willpower to institute all those technologies. Uh, and some of it has to do with, it's going to be expensive, but it's going to be really expensive not to do anything. So I think that people um, are not, and they're they're thinking very narrow-mindedly about the expense of all of this because they're they're not thinking about the expense of of what it will be for your future, um, how expensive it's going to be for all those people that are going to need to move. So um, it's sometimes the expense aspect gets becomes a very narrow-minded exercise. Um, we have the technology to transition, and that has that's very clear. Uh, we have we we have the solar power to do it. We have the wind energy. We even have the electric cars now, and we know how to. We know what we can do. It's just a matter of the political will to to get it done, uh, and that's where we're, and and the amount of um, uh, financing that's needed, and that's where we're falling short. It's very heartening to know that we have the technology to do it, but we don't have the political willpower, uh, and that's where young voices come in and that are really important because they help influence their parents. They also help influence the, their communities um, in terms of 
we can do this. We need to do this. Um, but we have to have the willpower to do it. So. Yeah, very true. Like I once, uh, what, uh, what I once read somewhere that, um, there's this kind of bottle made especially for cyclers where, um, the bottle, as soon as it gets empty, it, uh, sucks up like water from the air, the moisture from the air, and it turns that into drinking water. So it's like a mini, uh, like absorber and filter. Wow. That's very cool. I mean, you've just given an interesting example of how amazing technology is, right? Like that somebody yeah. came up with that cool, um, uh, new technology to create real, it's, it's, it's interesting that you say that because what you've just described is a, um, a technology that solves for a couple of problems, right? So, um, it, it solves for, I need to fill up my water, right. <laughs> as a, as a, yeah. as a cyclist that's riding their bike and they're thirsty. Um, but you also solve for an issue of, of, um, well, that means you don't have to take water from maybe a place that can't, uh, that may be low on water or a place that doesn't have very safe drinking water. Right. So, um, I think what's, what's really important about what you've just described is that solutions need to be have multiple benefits to them right so a solution can solve for several problems and so you've just described a a a technology that solves for i'm thirsty and i need more water (laughs) and i need safe water right and so um you've uh you i think I, i really like that that example as a as an interesting way to look at it. This is Nisha and she likes to get into my uh, computer a lot. So <laughs> her name is Nisha. 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 <laughs> she's a, a midnight cat. She's very, uh, she's all black. So that's why her, her name means darkness. <laughs> yes. She's very mischievous as you can see. <laughs> so Lynn, You've traveled to so many places. What place do you think had the most drastic changes? I would say that some of the places I was most startled to witness um, was the the Atoll nations. There is there's a series of countries that are um, the most low lying countries in the world, and they call them Atoll nations because it's the description of the uh, of, of what the island is. So an Atoll nation to give you a little bit of a geography lesson is an atoll nation is the in life of a, of a volcano. So a lot of islands that exist are what they call high islands. So Hawaii is a high island. Uh, it's got active volcanoes. So that's considered to be a fairly young island. When an island has reached the end of its life, essentially it's, the, it's a very old volcano that is just... Um, creates these like what they're called these these circular atolls and these low-lying countries that are these atoll communities um, are just a few uh, meters above sea level and the entire island is like that and so when you land your plane you literally can look left and right and the ocean's on either side of you and it's it's a it's a very vulnerable feeling to to have so much water surrounding you now these communities are used to that but when you think about it from a perspective of climate change and oceans rising, it's a very vulnerable situation and they don't have anywhere to go. There's no higher island for them. So they, for, for me, I think I was, 
I, I had seen pictures of these places, of, of the Atoll uh, nations. There's five of them globally. But it wasn't until I was physically there and, and walked the shorelines and just see how vulnerable those communities are to um, the sea level rise. And they don't have anywhere else to go. And, and they don't just lose their homes. They lose their country. And that's their identity. Some of those communities um, are some of the least visited places in the world. And so a lot of people don't even know about them. And what's fascinating about, I think, those communities is they have a lot of similarities to places like Bangladesh that are facing something similar. It just looks different, right? They both have issues with too much water coming in and, and raising and their shorelines. So yeah, I, for me, the Atoll communities were probably the most eye-opening. But you know, a place like Bangladesh was just kind of also blew my mind because it's it's such a small country for how many people are there. And that's like, for, for me to understand that is coming from the US is, was eye-opening. So to like to give you a sense, the population of Bangladesh was like, would fit into the landmass of, of the state of Michigan. So that's, and that's half of the US population. So it was very eye-opening to see that many people in a, such a small amount of land, um, but functioning quite well and making it happen. So um, yeah, those were two places I think for me were very different in many ways, but also they face a similar um, problem with climate change and rising seas. How many years do we have before we can stop rising sea levels and related things? Well, in terms of the window that's often used is, is we have 10 years and in terms of keeping uh, us within the, the two degrees <laughs> space. In terms of we need to start ramp, ratcheting down the emissions in the next 10 years to get us to where we need to go. And partially the reason for that is is because um, once gases are in the atmosphere, they have a fairly long lifetime. So it's like if you need to stop, if your car is going 100 miles an hour and you need to stop the car, you can't stop it on a dime. Like you can't hit the brake and the car is going to stop immediately. It's going to take a while for it to finally fully stop. And that's kind of what we're dealing with with the climate there is already a certain amount of gases in the atmosphere that are going to cause a certain amount of warming. And so um, we can't just, if we just stop the CO2 spout uh, immediately, it doesn't mean that the impacts of the CO2 will stop immediately. It'll have an effect even past the time that we completely stop the CO2 emissions. And, and that is why there's that, there's that window that they, people talk about is because the CO2 has a lifetime in the atmosphere that it'll be in. So, um, and, you know, I should, um, I should look at some of the, that's a time frame that everybody kind of utilizes. And so that's what CO2 is in the atmosphere. It's, it stays there for, for decades in certain cases. So when you get more complicated is, is people talking about taking CO2 out of the atmosphere. And if that is, is that a, you know, is that a possibility? So um, that's a whole nother a piece of technology that people are thinking about having to utilize perhaps, but I think that's a long shot technology that that's going to be like an emergency technology. So. Oh, okay. Very interesting indeed to wrap up today's conversation. I really thank you for coming into my show, Lynn. I feel so much more inspired to do so much more for our environment. 
Well, I'm glad. And I think that it's really important to emphasize just how important young people's voices are and, um, and, and making sure that we see your faces out there talking about this and um, knowing that uh, this is your future. The climate change issue is going to be the most important issue for your future. And so voicing your opinion about that is going to be super important for the world to listen and to get the action that we need. Yes, that's true. We need to shout louder and more often until it's resolved. Thank you. Well, thanks for having me. And I'm so glad you're doing the show. This is a really exciting uh, adventure you're on with the podcasting. Wow. Okay, thank you so very much. So friends, after a discussion over two episodes with Lynn, we now know for sure that climate change is something we need to do something about even before we become adults. We cannot wait. I've realised there's so much more we could do as children. First, start being more conscious of what and how much you are using. If it's not an absolute necessity, don't buy that thing. Don't waste too much food. Second, anytime you see people are not around you and a fan, light or any electric appliance is on, turn it off. That reduces our carbon footprint. Third, do not use plastic bags or even plastic toys. Most of all, the chocolate wrappers we throw on the street without a second thought find their way into our rivers, seas and oceans at the next downpour of rain. Please save the marine life by throwing them into the right bin. And finally, if you still think you are want to do more, visit Greta Thunberg's website, Fridays for Future. I did visit her website and even signed the European Citizens Initiative with my mom's help. It has lots of information and actions we can take for a better future of our planet. Please do sign my petition for saying no to plastic toys. The chemicals used to make these toys are very harmful to us according to research. And when we throw them out, a lot of times they end up polluting our environment. Please play with more sustainable toys like wooden, metal, rubber or silicone toys to keep yourself safe. Please do follow me on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter and LinkedIn. Thanks a ton for listening. Bye!